Father, we thank you for this hour, and we praise you for the opportunity to look at your word, to be reminded of things that are important to you, and the commitments that the elders have made here at Calvary Bible Church, especially with regard to hiding your word in our hearts. Oh, Father, I pray that you would so move in us this week that we would find, by your grace, the capacity to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness in hiding your word in our hearts today. And so I pray, Father, that this, this message will motivate us and encourage us and rebuke and convict us, whatever it is that what we need, Lord, so that we will be fuller still of your truth and in a very specific and intentional way. Lord, we love you. We know that we are dependent upon you even for this. And so we give you praise and thanksgiving for the outcome. In the name of our Savior, Jesus, amen. This morning, we are kind of taking a detour because last week we announced that we were starting a scripture memory program. We've done this before in years past. It's time to refresh now that Christ Fellowship Bible Church has gone and, um, and they are thriving, by the way. All reports that I hear are good. Uh, but it seemed to me that it would be a good time to refresh on some of the basics that, uh, that we dove into 10 years ago. And so one of those that we have probably talked about more than once over the past, I don't know, 26 years since I've been here, uh, has, it's, it's been relative to memorizing the Word of God, committing to memory the Word of God. So we encouraged all of you last time to download the fighter verses onto your phone or onto your smart device or whatever it is, and, and if not there, then we can certainly get you a, a printed copy. In fact, we gave you this last week that's got all of the verses going through December 27th to the end of the year, and you can just look them up in your Bible and memorize them old style, make, make paper cards or something. But for those of you who are a little more tech savvy, you can just turn on your uh, uh, Fighterverse app and, and see what today's scriptures are. There are perhaps many good reasons for establishing scripture, uh, scripture memory strategy, but the one that stands out most in my mind is the spiritual reality that Christian Christians, the Christian life is war. And you know, I am not only a pastor, but I am a counselor as well. And I meet people all the time who are leaning on their own understanding, and that's why they need help. They don't know the Word of God, or at least they're not trusting in it. And perhaps it's because the Word of God is not even in their hearts. I hope that's not true of you. I hope. You were progressively, perhaps just starting last week, to hide God's Word in your heart. But that's what we want to talk to you about this morning. Followers of Christ like, like to consider themselves people of peace, right? I mean, we pursue peace with one another. We want to promote peace in our country. And we strive to bring people into a saving peace with God. And only that only can come through the gospel. Even so, every Christian knows that while we're seeking to bring peace to others, the followers of Jesus understand that he is always at war. We are always at war. And, and, and this, is, this is a reality that should drive us not only to memorizing scripture, but to prayer. Sin is our enemy, and we must battle it every day. As children of God, we've been rescued from the kingdom of darkness and delivered into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. We've been liberated from the prison camps of evil and delivered into the true freedom of Christ. And so sin, Paul says, is no longer master over us. We don't have to give in to temptation. We are no longer obligated to bow down to sin's demands. Nevertheless, as long as we live this side of heaven, sin lurks in the shadows, 
looking for every opportunity of weakness, looking for opportunity to do harm. As followers of Jesus who pursue righteousness and holiness, we must daily declare war upon sin and fight the good fight of faith. A failure to engage in spiritual warfare opens us to the prospect of spiritual ruin. Let me say that again. A failure to engage in spiritual warfare opens us to the prospect of spiritual ruin. How, pray, will you battle your enemy if not with the Word of God? Psychology won't help. It will only uh, complicate. We simply must win the battle against temptation and sin. And the question is how? How? How do we win against temptation, especially since it's coming out of our own hearts, most of it? How do we wage war against a deadly enemy we cannot see? How do we overcome the temptations that seem to hijack our minds and affections and use them to commit acts of evil by God's definition? Well, that's a good question. And the Old Testament hero, David, provides instruction, all the instruction that we need. And for this morning, I'm going to look at one piece of instruction that he gives us that will wrap us up for the rest of our time this morning. So if you could turn with me to Psalm 119, 9 through 16. And why don't we stand together in honor of God's word as I read this. Psalms 119, 9 through 16. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up or treasured your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. May the Lord add his blessing on the reading of his word, and you can be seated. Well, from the start we can hardly... We can already see that if sin is our, our enemy, then Scripture is our weapon of war. Scripture is our weapon of war. We don't have time this morning to look at Ephesians chapter 6, but Paul is all about spiritual warfare, and he paints that, that vivid picture of a Roman soldier with all of the pieces of armor, which really, when you look at them, are various facets of the gospel. But here, this is something David has been talking about since 2,000 years before Christ, or close to it. Scripture is our weapon of war. Verse 1 asks the question, how can a young man or a young person keep his way pure? Or how can we, old or young, I find myself falling into that earlier category more often, How can we, whether old or young, protect ourselves against the most formidable spiritual enemy we have? David says, by keeping or protecting your life according to God's word. Now what does it mean to keep your way or to keep your life pure according to God's word? Well, that question is answered for us in verse 11. Look at verse 11. Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. We could say that the highest goal in the Christian life is to live completely for the glory of God. And this presupposes that we will be diligent to not sin against God. If we're out to glorify God, then we will watch over our hearts 
that we not sin externally or even internally in the recesses of our hearts. The question is, how do we pursue that goal? And David wrestled with this, and and I suspect it wasn't King David. I think this was David the young man because he asks, how shall a young man keep his way pure? He was thinking of himself, I think. And so we should be asking that question. How can I, at 56 years of age, how can I keep my heart clean? And he answers the question by keeping it according to your word. Now there are three phrases here that uh, we're going to pick apart a little bit as we go. We we believe in expository preaching, right? And so we're going to look at each word. The difficulty is, as as I was looking into uh, the, the translations that we use, and, and most of us use either the ESV or uh, the NAS, right? Or perhaps you have the KJV or the New King James or, or one of those um, formal equivalent translations, and all of them are good, but they put the order of these phrases in different places. So just understand that when I mention the first one here, it may not be first in your version, but all three are here in all of these versions. And so here's how it reads. Here's the, first, here's the three phrases. First of all, I have hidden or stored up or treasured, depending on your translation. That's phrase number one. Phrase number two, your word. What does he mean by that? And thirdly, in my heart. What does that mean? And why should it matter? So let's take them one at a time. Your word. What does David mean when he says, your word? Well, we can presume here he is speaking to the Lord. The Lord's word, the word of God. It's not that he's talking about some kind of personal, subjective impression from God. That's not the kind of word that he is referring to. Rather, he's, he's speaking about the objective, revealed, written word of God, what Martin Luther would call the external word. It's not something given to our hearts or that we discover on the inside. It's something that comes to us from the outside. We know that this is what he's referring to because of because of the context, and this is important because you know, context is what, class? Context is king. If you want to understand a scripture, you need to try to understand it within its context. And so what do we find in the context? Well, when we read the rest of this, we find these phrases. Verse 10, do not let me wander from your commandments. The commandments in Exodus chapter 20 were carved in stone by God. And there were ten. It was the tenfold commandments. Of course, there's also the twofold commandments. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then there's the manifold commandments. There's all the other things he commands. But he's speaking here of commandments. And then in verse 12, he says, teach us your statutes. Verse 13, let my lips, with my lips, I have told of all the rules, all of your rules. Verse 14, in the way of your testimonies, I delight. Verse 15, I will meditate on your precepts. Verse 16, I shall delight in your statutes. I will not forget, and then we come back to the original term, I will not forget your word. I will not forget your word. So clearly, David is referring to the written word of God, the recorded word of God. So when he says, your word, he means the scriptures. He didn't have as many scriptures as we have now, but he had everything that he needed in his day to be able to be pleasing to the Lord in every circumstance. And David knew that. Now let's look at the next phrase. David says, in my heart, your word I have treasured in my 
heart. Uh, this is a, an important phrase. What does it mean? Well, I think David intends the words, in my heart, to communicate the internalization of the external word. That is, God's written word committed to memory in the heart, where it is always at the ready for battle. It reminds me of in the days of Nehemiah. You remember, Nehemiah came back to, um, from, from Babylon, right, from Persia. Uh, the Jews were sent back to Israel. Ezra came back to initiate the building of the temple. Nehemiah came back to rebuild the walls around the city. But there were many enemies, and so Nehemiah gave orders to all of the workmen that they were to, in one hand, carry their sword, and in the other hand, a trowel. The trowel is what you smear cement with, right? And so they always had to be at the ready, so they were always working, doing their masonry work, and at the same time, they were ready for war. This is the image here. You're always on the ready if you have God's word in your heart. Now, understand that the heart in the Old Testament is the place of thinking. It's responsible for both thought and emotion. The whole Bible really speaks of the heart as, as the mission control center of your life. For example, the, psalm, the psalmist says elsewhere, as a man, and we typically think of heart as emotions, right? But notice what, what David's or the psalmist says here. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Whatever you think about is what you become. Or another way to say that is you become what you behold, whether that's with your physical eyes or with your spiritual imagination, or unspiritual, as the case may be. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So to get the word of God off the page and into the heart is to get it hidden away in a place where you can think about it, ponder it, feel it. It means getting it on the inside where you can meditate on it, delight in it, ponder it, feel guilt over it when necessary, experience joy and hope from it, and even inspiration to worship intelligently by it. And praise God for all of you who have learned over the past several years to send texts to one another, of texts of encouragement that, that almost always, as I receive them, are full of Scripture. It should be that way. It should be that way. Now let's look at the third phrase, wherever it may show up in your translation. Your word I have treasured in my heart. So I have treasured is the third statement. I have treasured or I have hidden. Now what does it mean to treasure? Well first, let's establish that the phrase does not mean. What it does not mean is that we treasure it in the sense of feeling sentimental about it. I was one time counseling a woman. I asked her if she, uh, if she had a Bible. And she said, yes. I said, do you love the Word of God? She said, oh, yes, I love the Word of God. I love it. I love it. And she, she, she grabbed it, and she went like this. And she said, I love the Word of God. I love it. I super love it. Super duper love it. Right? She just love it. Okay. And I said, uh, Okay, tell me what you read in it this morning. Oh, I didn't read it. Well, how about yesterday? Well, didn't read it yesterday either. Day before? Day before that? Day before that? Did you read it this month? Right? And she said, no, I haven't read it, but I love it. And uh, in, a, in, a, in a rare moment, maybe not a rare moment of snarkiness, I asked, <laughs> do you love the smell of the cover of it? What is it that you love about the Bible? David loved the words, the truths, the phrases. 
David loved God's word. He considered it a treasure. Your word have I treasured, I have hidden. And so what does it mean to treasure? It's not about sentimentality. It's, you know, when I think of sentimental things like, um, like an heirloom passed down from people who have long since gone to be with the Lord, perhaps long before we were ever born. In our house, we have heirlooms that are hidden somewhere in our attic, I think, and there's probably a hundred different sets of salt and pepper shakers <laughs> that were, were passed on to my wife by Aunt Somebody, who none of us knew, at least not in our generation, and we have them, and we can't get rid of them. <laughs> and, and there they are. But there's a sentimentality, there's a connection, right, between our people and these physical things. And so that's not what, what David is talking about. Rather, the Hebrew word for treasure, it always means to store or to hide. In David's day, there weren't any banks to put your money in. So if you had some treasure, you would be wise to hide it someplace that you could get to that nobody else could see. Or it's like a soldier fitting his ammunition belt with bullets so that he'll be ready to fight when the enemy strikes. So one way we can keep ourselves safe from the enemy, that is sin, temptation, is to take the written, external word and internalize it. In other words, to hide it like treasure in your heart. It's not good enough to have a warm, sentimental feeling about your Bible. When, tem when temptation hijacks your mind and you're tempted on the job to lie or at school to cheat or in private, to lust, or in, in conversation, to gossip, or slander about someone else, your most powerful weapon is always available if God's Word is treasured in your heart. You need but to reach into the treasury of Scripture, hidden in your heart, and you will find all the powerful promises, warnings, instructions, prayers, examples, commands, or whatever else you need to defeat the enemy at that moment. But here's the thing, you, you, can't, you can't stand on the promises if you don't know what they are. The Word of God, according to Paul, Ephesians chapter 6, is the believer's sword. It's the sword of the Spirit for battle. And Paul, I think, is reflecting on what the Old Testament had always declared. Your weapon of warfare is the Word of God. When you find yourself attacked by some temptation, you need the sword to cut yourself free. And so storing up or memorizing or meditating on the Word of God, and by the way, we're not necessarily commanded to memorize the Word of God, but we are commanded to meditate on the Word of God. Although, here in practice, as an example, we find David hiding God's Word in your heart, and, and what can that mean other than memorizing it? So storing up or memorizing the Word of God in order to get it into your hearts is very, very important. Jesus, our example here on earth in so many ways, is our example even in this. And you know these stories, and I won't rehearse them, but when Satan tempted him in the wilderness... How did he respond? Matthew tells us, Matthew 4, 4, 4, 7, 4, 10, that for each temptation he drew out of his heart a verse from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. You say, yeah, but he was God. I mean, he wrote the book. Yes, that may be true. However, when Jesus lived on earth, he didn't take any shortcuts. Even here, 
You remember that one of the temptations was, you're hungry, turn these rocks into stone. Could he have done that? Of course he could have done that. He spoke and the worlds came into existence. He could turn a rock into a piece of bread. Why didn't he? Because listen, he was fulfilling all righteousness for our sakes as a man. He couldn't cheat. He couldn't conquer sin by his own deity. He had to defeat sin as you and I have to defeat sin. And so he modeled it for us. How did he respond? For each temptation, he drew out of his heart a verse from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. And we can infer from this that Jesus memorized and meditated upon Scripture. And if Jesus hid God's word in his heart, how much more must we? Jesus had no sin nature. We not only have sins tempting our hearts, we have temptations coming out of our hearts, unprovoked by anything else but, but our own depravity. It was never true of Jesus. How much more do we need to be faithful in the battle? What I'm trying to do here, beloved, is to persuade and inspire you to practice the spiritual discipline of Scripture memory. This is important for for health and vitality of your souls. If the words of Scripture are God's weapon for war, for combating sin, then they should be a precious treasure. And if the Word of God is our treasure, we should store it up. We should treasure it as a verb. We should treasure it in our hearts. And since it is God's most powerful weapon against temptation... Hiding it in our hearts will keep us equipped and at the ready to fight whenever sin entices our souls. And so, your enemy is sin. And the scripture is your weapon of war. Thirdly, the church is your training ground. The church is your training ground. Whether you are an elder or a deacon, in your church, whether you're a mom or a dad or a single adult or a child, God has provided this weapon of the word for your warfare and for your protection and for your well-being. More than that, he has provided a training ground to prepare us to use the word of God in personal ministry to our own souls first, but also personal ministry to one another which is what I was referring to earlier. Ephesians 4, 11 and following speak of how Christ gifted the church with the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And we don't have time to look at all of that text, but it's obvious from that text that what Paul is saying is we all have a responsibility to make our church mature. It's not just me. It's not just the elders. It's not just whoever's teaching in Sunday school. It's all of us. We are all to minister the word to one another. And to our old soul and our own souls. This is why we are called Calvary Bible Church. This was not inherited. Uh, we used to be Calvary Presbyterian Independent. And shortly after I arrived, and had nothing to do with my arrival, but about a month after we got here, the vote went through and we decided we would become Calvary Bible Church because we wanted to focus our ministry on the Word of God. And so the focus of our ministry is preaching the word, teaching the word, ministering the word. Why? Because the scriptures are not just truth. They are truth for life. They are intended to affect us and change us and empower us. Roy Zook is right when he says, 
The Bible is given to us for more than satisfying our curiosity about what God is like and what he has done. It's intended to impact our lives as seen in the Bible, as the Bible convicts Hebrews 4, regenerates 2 Timothy 3, nurtures 2 Timothy 2, cleanses Psalm 119, counsels, guides, prevents sin, renews the mind, strengthens, sustains, gives wisdom, and delivers, just to name a few. This is the power of the Word of God. It does all of us, all of this in us and for us and for us mutually. God speaks of the Scriptures as a fire to consume false teaching, as a hammer that shatters people's hard hearts, as food to sustain one's souls, a light to guide our path, and a sword to battle the enemy of your soul. And Paul describes the church as the venue, the community in which you can be trained and equipped to use the word of God to protect not only your own souls, but the souls of those who may be weak or idle or unruly. What do you do when someone that you know and love in the church throws themselves into sin? What will you do? You know, the Word of God tells us what to do. And if you don't know what the Word of God tells you what to do, you're probably going to make something up. And you're going to turn a little mess into a big mess. Lean not on your own understanding. This is, this is the message of the entirety of Scripture. Lean not on the, your own understanding. Lean on the Word of God. Trust in the Word of God. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight according to His Word. Let me ask you a question. Would you say your faith is strong, or would you say your faith is weak? I can tell you that I have never known a strong, mature Christian who did not have many, many scriptures hidden away in his or her heart. There is no such thing as a mature believer who doesn't have many scriptures at the ready in their heart. And there's a reason for that. God has designed faith, which is the Christian's strength, to feed on the Word of God. If you're not feeding regularly on the Word of God, I can tell you right now, your faith and your ability to stand against the assaults of sin are weak. Your ability to communicate to the lost the gospel of Jesus Christ is weak. Your ability to manage problems in your household or in your own heart are weak. The food of faith is Scripture. If you don't feed your faith, it atrophies. It becomes weak. It, it grows smaller. And you may ask, why am I such a weak Christian? And sometimes the answer is, it's not that you're a weak Christian. It's not that you're not, I mean, it's, it's that you're not a Christian, but you don't know him. And if that's you today, I plead with you by the mercies of God to drop every other priority in life until you know him. The offer is to you if you will receive it. And you may ask yourself, well, why don't I have, why don't I have the joy of Christ that other Christians have. You know, it may be that you do know the Lord. There's two categories that I worry about in our church. There are people who think they're saved and they're not. And they're really secure in it. And there are other people who think they aren't saved and they are. And I worry about them. Because they live in, in perpetual discouragement and it shouldn't be. Why don't I have the joy of Christ that other Christians have? Why don't I have courage to share my faith with unbelievers? Why am I so often defeated in the face of temptation? Let me suggest to you that perhaps it's because your faith is starving and your spiritual treasury contains little help in the hour of trial. You may reach into the treasury and find 
John 3.16 is the only thing there. Or maybe the 23rd Psalm is the only thing there. And those are wonderful texts, but they don't cover everything you need. I'm going to show you in a minute how Psalm 23 can really minister to your soul, but we'll get there soon. In the meantime, finish this statement for me, just in your hearts. Don't say it out loud. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? The Word of Christ. The Word of Christ. Where does faith come from? The bedrock of faith is the Word of God. If you choose against the Bible, if you choose against Bible memory, if you choose against Bible meditation, you choose against your own faith. You don't have to use any special program to get it into your heart, but you must discipline yourself at some level. You need to plan to systematically take in and treasure up the Word of God in your heart. I know I'm speaking to people who know this. I also know that I'm speaking to people who know this and aren't doing it. Maybe you are after last week. And I hope you are. This is intended to be a kickstart for those of us who need a kick. And we always do. And you, yeah, I've told you this before many times, no doubt. But you know, in, in, when we read passages that say, repent and believe, in, in the original it goes like this. Keep on repenting. Repent and keep on repenting. Believe and keep on believing. I love that. Because i got to keep re refreshing, redoing, re going back, confessing and restarting. And it's just, it's just the normal Christian life for fallible, sinful people like you and me. And we need the encouragement and the example of one another. You know what motivates me to memorize Scripture? It's other people that I'm close to who are memorizing Scripture. Now, some of you doubt that you have the ability to memorize. You will say, children can do it easily enough, but I can hardly remember my own phone number. You don't even have to memorize your own phone number anymore. You just poke the button. Now, let me give you a little test. Suppose I said that I would give you $1,000 for every verse you memorize this week. Let me say, if I went to every husband and father and or father, and I said, this week, I will give you, at the end of the week, $1,000 for every complete verse you've memorized perfectly, according to whatever translation you want to use. Um, would you be motivated by that? Let me just say, your wife would motivate you. <laughs> Think about it for a minute. You could buy a lot of stuff for $1,000. You could get a new computer. You could get your car repaired. You could take a vacation. You could pay bills or something else wonderful. If you memorized 10 verses, I mean, let's see, that's $10,000. What could you do with $10,000? What if I promised to give you $1,000 for every verse you memorized this week? I bet you would you would absolutely be astounded at how well your brain works. <laughs> and you would memorize it perfectly. You would make sacrifices. You might get up earlier. You might skip a meal. You might spend your time on a break at, at, at the office doing something different than you normally do. The question is, what do you treasure? The point is simply this. If the issue for us is not ability or motivation. By the way, I've counseled uh, drug addicts and alcoholics, and they always tell me, my brain's fried, I can't do it. And I'll say, I'll say, okay, okay, I get it, I get it. Now, by the way, I forgot to get some basic information from you before we started. Uh, can you tell me your phone number? Okay, got it. And, and can you, I don't have your address either. Could you give me your address? Oh yeah. And, and what, what are your kids' names? 
Nobody has ever said, oh, I don't know. I don't know my kids' names, right? And then I'll say, you know what? There are just three really significant things that you somewhere along the way memorized. You can do this. You can do it. David said, the word of God is more precious than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey. He uses money and honey as his illustration. Two things that we all love. The real question is, do you believe it? Do you believe it's really valuable? Do you believe it's, it's sweeter than anything else this world can give? Or is a thousand crisp, clean dollars the, the greater object of your affections? I could do it for a thousand dollars, but I can't do it for nothing. You can memorize. You can. And your church is here to inspire and help you do it. When I, when I was working on my master's of, in biblical counseling, uh, I had been out of school for a long time, and I was really worried because they were having us memorize a lot of scripture, and I thought, I don't know about this. And I was shocked. I was shocked at how my brain was able to memorize. If you haven't gotten on board yet with fighter verses, I hope you'll commit to doing so today. Sin is your enemy. Scripture is your weapon of war. The church is your training ground, which is why we are offering this through the church. And we will help you as a church. But then number four, the world is your battlefield. Now let me try to wrap this up by doing what might be most motivational, the most motivational thing I can do to help you see the value of hiding God's word in your heart. I want to tell you a few stories, and those of you who have been around for almost the whole 26 years I've been here, you've heard these before, so just be patient with me. I want to tell you a few stories about how this has impacted my life. When I was in high school, my family was going through a tremendous transition. We moved to another town, to another church. For me, that meant a new school, new home, new friends. There's a lot of things happening in our family relationships that were unpleasant, to say the least. And I can remember feeling so displaced as a young teenager and downright fearful at times. One day, someone in my church, a young guy who had graduated from Bible college, came to me and, and uh, was asking me you know, questions about my heart and my faith. And I shared with him some of the things I was struggling with and and he presented to me uh, the possibility of identifying a scripture that would be foundational to the rest of my life. Back then, they used to call it a life verse, right? A scripture that you will hang on to for the rest of your life. And I thought that was an interesting idea. And so I dug around for a little while, and I came up with Joshua 1, 8 and 9. It's been such a precious text for me. Here's what it says. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to observe everything that is written in it, for then you will have good success. Have not I commanded you to be strong and of good courage? Don't be discouraged. Don't get dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I love that text. Even though I confused a couple of versions there. but I can't tell you how many times through college and seminary and even through these years of ministry here that I have fallen back on the bedrock truths of that text. When I've heard took my first ministry position up in Kansas, and then again here. 1991 is when I entered into ministry as, as a vocation. I was shocked to find out how complicated it was going to be. I had no idea. And there were so many voices calling out to me in terms of what a pastor ought to do, what a church ought to do. I was in an American Baptist church. I didn't know any better. 
and only was able to stay for two and a half years. But um, what do you do? I mean, there were 10,000 options. What do you do? And one day I ran into this scripture, Colossians 1, 25 through 29. Of this church, I was made a minister. According to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is, the mystery which has been hidden in past ages and generations, but now has been manifest to his saints, to whom he will to make known the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present everyone complete in Christ. It's my job description. When I discovered my job description is in the Bible, it changed everything. And everything became so clear. Many of you know when I was wrapping up seminary, we had our number two son, and two weeks after he was born, he caught a virus and damaged his heart. We didn't know if he was going to live or die. And as the years ticked by, he lived. He's still alive today. Uh, thank you. Thanks to the miracle of God in his life physically, I think. Um, but every time we took him to the hospital, they would put him on a gurney, you know, to cart him away to do whatever procedure. And we would say, son, what's your scripture? And he said, he would always say, and it's from, you can, you can lay hold of this one yourself, Psalm 56, 3 and 4. And it goes like this. Imagine your 10-year-old son saying this. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise. In God, I will put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? Just uh, a month or so ago, he's all grown up, married, two kids. He had to have the leads for his old device removed from his heart, and it was potentially a life-threatening surgery. So I flew down to San Diego and met him there where the hospital was, where he was going to have the procedure. And before I dropped him off, I said, Son, you remember your scripture? And he said, When I am afraid... I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise. July 19th, 2001, 10.55 a.m., I was sitting in my office, and Dana beeped me on the phone, and she said something like this, Pastor Dan, the fire department's on the phone. Something to do with your wife. And what do you do then? That's a shock. She's in a terrible car accident in our Ford Aerostar and I got in my car and I drove as fast as I could go and where I turned because of our previous trials I had learned Psalm 23 the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside quiet water, waters he restores my soul he leads me in the paths of righteousness. That's the phrase that we hang everything on. Because simply what it means in Hebrew is, he leads me in the right path. You know what the next phrase is? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. For you are with me. Isn't that what he said in Joshua 1? You are with me, and this is the right path. And the principle here is, no matter what the circumstance, if you've been following Jesus, if you are right now following Jesus, whatever struggle you're facing, whatever hardship, whatever pain, whatever discouragement, this is the right path. It's the right path. 
You see, we need to have the Word of God hidden in our hearts to guard us from all of life's pressures, temptations. David wrote in Psalm 1, Blessed is the man who does not walk according to the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his, listen carefully, his delight is in what? The law of the Lord. And in his law he what? Meditates. How much? Day and night. And he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf never withers. And whatever you do will prosper. Isn't that what, isn't that what Joshua said? Beloved, this is again and again and again. We find it in the pages of Holy Writ. Oh, that we would be men and women skilled in speaking God's truth to our souls, to our own souls. Oh, that the word of Christ would be found on our lips whenever we're squeezed by the pressures of various trials. And oh, may God's word, treasured in our hearts, be our most powerful weapon against temptation to sin. There's a scripture I wanted to bring into here, but I'm just going to tack it on the end. Proverbs 22, verse 17. Listen to this. Proverbs 22, 17. Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise and apply your heart to my knowledge, for it will be pleasant if you keep them within you, if all of them are ready on your lips. Is probably Solomon, David's son. He learned. He learned his father's lesson. And beloved, for you and me, life is war. And the most powerful weapon for defeating sin and enlarging faith is the Word of God treasured in your heart. Let's pray. Well, Father, we are committed to doing this. We know that we will do it imperfectly, but oh, Father, I pray that we would do it with passion and that we would do it faithfully. Not because we're trying to achieve some level of knowledge for the sake of admiring ourselves or inviting others to admire, but rather, Father, that we would Hide your word in your heart so that we can kill whatever it is in us that wants to be admired or wants to fill in the blank. Lord, we hate the fact that we have a propensity to sin, but we love the reality that you have given us everything we need to fight it and to be victorious by the power of your word. Lord, these things we praise you for and we ask you your help in, in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.